sometimes when there's more time to prepare what to say, sometimes less. Speaking to Dan Simchostoria was definitely an example of a time when there wasn't time to prepare in advance what to say. But in the matter where we're standing after Musaf, one can hear the air raid sirens every few minutes. Obviously, we don't know the details because it's Yantif, but one hears rumors of attacks on Israel's border or people being killed, Rahman al Islam. So, how are we meant to approach Simchus Torah? Just before the Hakafas, before the Prayer Satara, how are we meant to approach Simchus Torah when we know that it's a Sakana, when we know that people are in danger? So, there are a few Makhshavas which come to mind. The first one, and that is every time that we see the beginning of a war. In the words of the Gemara, we see countries goading each other to battle. The Gemara says, You see different countries who are goading each other to war. Why? Because, as we know from the Psukim, there will be that battle which will culminate in the coming of the Gola. What we call Melchemas Gogomagai. There have been many battles. And we never know exactly how it's going to develop, what the course the war is going to take, or how the war is going to end. And therefore, in every battle which begins, we don't know where it's going to go. Perhaps this will be the beginning of a sequence of events which will lead to the coming of Mashiach. Sape. This time is no different. Of course, in retrospect, every other battle which has happened, we can see in retrospect that it didn't bring the coming of Mashiach. And the biggest proof of that is the battle ended and Mashiach didn't come. But nevertheless, when the battle is beginning and we don't know what's going, what course it's going to take, and we don't know how many countries are going to get involved, and we don't know where it's going to end, so pay. The Gemara says, wait, maybe, maybe this will be the battle which will be the final battle of Krikul, Nukhemes Gagal Magad. And that's why you'll find in the writings of the Akhrenim about various battles that they saw potentially this could be Nukhemes Gagal Magad. Obviously, from the vantage point of before the war begins or when the war is under in progress, it, it could be, it would be. It's only with hindsight that we saw the war ended and Mashiach never came, then we understand that obviously it was not Gagal Magad. But there's some conditions we do have for a war to be considered Nukhemes Gagumagak. And these are two of them. I'm a first in the Psukim. The last one is brought in the The first one is it has to revolve around Jerusalem. The Apostle says clearly, Vikibastis Kalam Nishalam in Muhammad. I will gather all the nations to Yishalayim for battle. And therefore, the Melchemist Kogumagog has to revolve around or be focused on Yishalayim. 
That's the one point. It has to involve Kolanin. It has to involve all the nations. Chazal tell us about two different forces called Goyeg and Mogoyeg who will be involved in this battle. Whether they'll be fighting each other, whether they'll be fighting us, Kali Yisrael, that's not so clear in Chazal. But who are these forces of Goyeg and Mogoyeg? So what the Gemara talks about in the Megillah, the Gemara talks about the armies of Paras and the army of Remi. Those are the two world powers at the time of the writing of the Gemara, the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And they will be the players, the two sides, so to speak, in this final battle of Gog and Magog. Who are they today? So when it comes to Romy, it's pretty unanimous. Romy refers to Christianity. Whether it's Roman Catholicism or other forms of Christianity, there's definitely the Kayach of Romy. And therefore those Christian countries today would be the one side of the battle. Paras, it's not as clear in the Mephoshim who Paras is. The Persian Empire disintegrated, doesn't exist anymore. But there are a number of different opinions. In Mephoshim, who is, who is the Kayach of Paras? The Vilnagar famously said that Paras refers to the Eastern Christian Church, which today basically means Russia. He understood Russia to be Paras, and therefore he saw Russia as being a side in the battle, which would be the, the war between Gog and Magog. There are those like the Malbim who learned that Paras refers to the place where the Persian Empire was. Even if it's not the same religion, even if it's not the same people, the Paris is a, is a place, Persia. And if that's the case, the Paris of today is Iran. Now, it could be both of them are right. It could be it'll be a combined effort of Iran and Russia together. We'll form the force of Paris. And there's another opinion which I found in the Kadmonim. I'm not quite sure where they got it from, but it's brought down that Paris is China. So once again, it could be an argument, or it could be all three together. So the war of Gog and Magog would be between two different superpowers in the world. But in order to be the war of Gog and Magog, it has to revolve around Yerushalayim. That's what we know. Who's going to win that war of Gog and Magog? There's an argument in the Gemara. It's not clear who the winner is going to be. The one opinion in the Gemara is that Paris will win. The other opinion in the Gemara is that Rome will win. And there's a discussion between Tom and Rome. The one brings Paris will win because they were the ones who built the second base of Mekdash, whereas Rome were the ones who destroyed it. And therefore Paris deserved to win, so to speak. And the other side, when the Gemara is to defend the position that says Rome will win, so yeah, it's Gazeris Melech. Because it doesn't mean it is why it's like that. So Hashem decided. But it doesn't really make a big difference who's going to win. Because the end point of the battle, that the process is clear in Zechariah. Hashem will come and fight those Goyim. Hashem will destroy them. Both Paras and Adam, both Gog and Magog. And therefore who's going to win in the mortal combat between them is less important to us then the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to be the ultimate victor is going to destroy them both. 
And that will bring to the recognition that Hashem is the Melech Al-Kana Aretz. That will bring to the recognition that Hashem is really the one in control. And that's going to be the prelude to the coming of Mashiach. How long is this war going to be? Here also, we find different explanations in the Mepharshim and the Midrashim. There's a Gemara that says it will take nine months because the Gemara refers to the Kerem Mashiach as to a lady giving birth. And just like the process of pregnancy is nine months, so those who say the process of going and going will take nine months too. There are other explanations in Chazal, there are other quotes which are brought in the Midrashim, such as one famous Midrash which says, Asa the Kadesh Baruch Hu, the Kachas Nekmasa in Me'edlam Hashem will take his revenge on Adam in three hours. Does there have to be an argument? Not necessarily. There could be an aspect of the war which Adam gets punished, which will be three hours. It could be the war will take place over a much longer period of time. That's what we know about Muhammad's Kaigumagai. It has to involve the whole world. It has to center around Yerushalayim. And it has to end with the coming of Mashiach. When a war begins, so, what we've said previously, we don't always know where it's going to end, how it's going to develop, who's going to get involved. And therefore, any war has a potential that it might spread, it might ignite a larger conflict in the world. And therefore, every time we see a war, it's a pain of Sheikh. It might take time. There were those who said when Russia attacked Ukraine, it was time to put on Yontov clothes because Mashiach is coming. We're talking about two years ago nearly. So people came to ask me what I thought about it. I said, I'm not going to put my yom clothes yet. I don't want him to be that that worn out by the time Mashiach comes. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't have the potential of developing into Gog Magog. But at that stage, it was not, had fulfilled no conditions. It wasn't all the world. It wasn't revolved around Yerushalayim. And therefore, again, there's a potential that things can develop. But that takes time. But there's a third point also. That's what I was leading up to getting to. It's brought in the tour that the Minag is, we say on Shabbos Chalamoid Pesach, the after describing on Shabbos Chalamoid Sukkot, we talk about the war of Gog and Magog. Why? Neither one has anything to do with the Kriya or the of the day. So the Torah explains, he brings the Kabbalah from the Go'inim. A tradition passed down from Rav Haigon from the Go'inim. And that is, Tchiyas HaMesim will take place on Pesach. And Melchimus Goygo Magog will take place on Sukkot. And if that's the case, that's what I read that after. The truth, this is a Kabbalah from the Go'inim. But if you're looking for it, we'll find reference to this. Because it's in the book of Zechariah, which talks about the fact that there'll be this war between Goygo Magog ends. And it says that at the end of the battle, all those who left, all the survivors, they will come and bow down to Hashem and Sukkot. And every country in the world who survived that battle will have to come and bow down to Hashem and Sukkot. Why specifically on Sukkot? So we understand that that's when the battle was. And if that's the case, that's when they have to be grateful for the fact that they were spared. And they survived. There will be an anniversary of their salvation, which will be on Sukkot. And therefore we find a third element to the war of Gog and Magog. 
And that is, it has to revolve around Sukkot. In fact, the fact that we daven Hashan is all of Sukkot. Save us, Hashem, save us, save us, save us. What are you asking to be saved from? I'm about to explain from the war of Gog and Magog. If this is when it's meant to take place, that's why now the time to daven. Hashem to save us. We even say this. One of the Hashanahs we say Hashanah Rabbah. The expression was Hashanah Shalash Shalash Hashanah. Hashem save us for three hours. It's referring to those three hours he mentioned before. The three hours in the battle where Hashem will take his revenge from Adam. So Hashem, during those three hours, save us. We shouldn't get caught up in that conflagration. We shouldn't get punished along with it. And if that's the case, when you hear about the beginning of a war which takes place in Sukkot, so maybe there's even more reason to think. Perhaps this is the beginning of Gog Magog. It might just be a small skirmish in the south, but we don't know yet. But like any war, when it begins, we don't know where it's going to lead to. And therefore, the one idea is to be hopeful. Perhaps this is the beginning of Muhammad's Gog Magog. That leads me to a second point. Because war, as a concept, is something scary. People get killed. War as a concept is something which, like we know, when the mashkis, the destructive angels is out, so then tzaddikim and rishonim all die. In a makom sakana, in a war zone, then it needs extra special schosim to be spared. But that's a regular war. A war which is coming as an oynish, as a punishment, and then it's being run by the mashkis, by the forces of punishment, and tzaddikim can get punished too. Whereas when it comes to Mechemes Gog and Magog, so now we see the Gemara takes a different attitude. When it comes to Mechemes Gog and Magog, it's not coming as a punishment. On the contrary, it's a step towards bringing Mashiach. And that's why the Gemara says a person can do things to be saved from Mechemes Gog and Magog. Whether it's Staka and Torah, whether it's Emona, whether it's even Shalish Tudus and Shabbos, and different times the Gemara says different things. But the concept is it's something a person can be saved from. Which means... The war of Muhammad's Gog and Magog isn't a random slaughter that people can die if they don't deserve it. On the contrary, those people who tzaddikim will be saved. And therefore, it's not as scary as the concept of a battle, which is the punishment and tzaddikim can get punished too. So that's the one Nakhshad. We hear about a war, we don't know what it's going to be, we don't know how it's going to end or if it's going to end. We don't know if this war is coming as an Oynish or as a build-up to Gog and Magog. But the one thing is, it's okay. We can be hopeful. Perhaps, perhaps, this is going to be the war which will eventually lead to the coming of Mashiach. That's the one point. The second point to talk about, and I think this is more practical, people wanted to hear about, what are we meant to do? It's in it's Shabbos. But we're hearing here eight times. What are we meant to do? Are we meant to cancel David and Yemen should go sit in the Miklat at home? In the bomb shelters? So the first thing I want to say is even the practical level. I think the safest place to be is here in the Shul. It's already built under the ground. It has sealed rooms in it. Uh, reinforced rooms. So it's definitely in a practical term the safe place to be. There's another point as well. And that is, let's think, what does Hashem want us to do? 
What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want us to do to spend it? We have a mitzvah to do. We have a mitzvah to dance with the Torah. And like we explained yesterday, the idea of dancing with the Torah is to strengthen that commitment to the Torah. That's Yachiv. Even if it's Shabbos, that's Yachiv and Simchas Torah. To strengthen that commitment to the Torah. That's what we have to do. If doing something would be putting ourselves in greater danger, then it would be a different shikul halachic if you meant to do it. But over here, you aren't in more danger dancing in the shul than staying at home in your apartment. And of course, if that's the case, that's what's required of us. But how can we dance when we know that there's attacks happening? How can we know, dance when we know that there's people who are in suffering? People who are being, being harmed, potentially. We don't know the details. So maybe this is an important time to talk about this because this is also a central point of Sinful Story. And that is, we know, and this is part of our Imana, that what protects Klai Yisrael is the Torah. More than anything else. If there's people learning Torah, that's Klai Yisrael's protection. And the more people learning Torah, the more protection Klai Yisrael has. And it's Dafka when Klai Yisrael gave up the Torah, or rejected the Torah, or were lax in their Torah learning, that's when you got punished. The stronger our commitment to Torah is, and the more we're learning the Torah, that's our salvation. That's why we zaycha to rachamim. Let's emphasize that point again. We know we talk about the 13 minutes of rachamim that Hashem gave us. When did Hashem give it to us? When He gave us the second luchas. We deserve the rachamim because we accepted the second luchas. Normally we only say the 13 minutes of rachamim on a fast day, but every Yom Tov, when we open the Arach we say three times the 30 minutes of Rachamim. Why on Yom Tov? Why now? And the answer is, and this is brought down in the Ariza, from the Zayar, because when we're opening up our Kodesh to take out the Sefer Torah, that itself inspires a tremendous Rachamim and Shemaim. You're going to take out the Sefer Torah. And therefore, now is the time to ask for Rachamim too. And that's our Simchas Torah. We're taking out the Torah. We're taking out the Torah, not just to, to read from the Torah, but to finish the Torah. And to begin the Torah again. That itself is a tremendous source of Rachamim. And if we need Rachamim, if Christ was being attacked, and we need the Rachamim, so then we have to do something to deserve that Rachamim. Strengthening our connection to Torah. Makes us more deserving of Rachamim. Just last night we spoke about this. That when we're dancing with the Torah, we're meant to focus on intensifying our feeling of connection to Torah. Today we'll think about that in terms of that's why we're going to deserve Hashem's mercy. The more we committed to Torah, the more we connected to Torah. So the Torah is called Rachmana, the source of Rachamim. That's the schus that we have which protects us. And if Christ shall need a schus, then that's the schus we have to work on. We're not achieving anything by sitting at home, barricading ourselves and being miserable. We're not helping the battle and we're not helping the schus of Christ. 
But by dancing with the Torah, by committing ourselves more to Torah, that's what is what's going to make a difference. That's what's going to multiply the schism of Kali Yisrael and make us more deserving of Rachim. It's a two-step dance. The one part of Simchas Torah is the the shevach, the praise of the Torah, and I can listen to Torah. And the second part of Simchas Torah is the longing for the coming of Mashiach. And here we can do both together. When a battle begins, it makes us think in terms of perhaps this is the beginning of the of the course of events which will bring Mashiach. And at the same time, it gives us more of a reason to focus on our emphasizing our connection and commitment of Torah, which is going to give us the schusim, schusim to be protected in this battle, and schusim to be protected, so to speak, from any future battle, until Mashiach will come.